The reading today is from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. I'm reading from the Revised Standard Version. I think you'll find this a familiar story. Uh, It's probably sometimes called the Doubting Thomas story. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As my God has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who is called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. He said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, friends, this has been a uh, busy week. The start of this week, I had the joy of starting the training of 43 new seasonal staff who joined our team at Youth Opportunities Unlimited. Young, well, not staff, uh, who will work with the families of young people as they come to determine if they're eligible to participate in our summer jobs program. As you can imagine, 43 new staff members in a new office has been a lot, and it has been amazing to see the joy that they bring to our shared work. At the same time as we were training new staff, our intake appointment communication was going out to over 3,000 youth who have been selected to participate in this intake process. That's a lot of phone calls. (laughs) It's a lot of emails. It's a lot of text messages. 
We don't usually hear back from families when they get notified that they've been selected for an appointment, other than for them to call and say, hey, this appointment time doesn't work. Can I get a new one? But one mother called our call center this week, just so grateful. After receiving her notification, the parent of a young person I'm going to call Isaiah, I'm changing his name, called our call center. She called to let us know how happy and thrilled she was that Isaiah was selected to participate in the summer job program. You see, Isaiah has had a tough year and needed something good to happen. His sister was the victim of a violent crime and is now no longer with us. And since then, Isaiah has had a hard time leaving the house, having a hard time going out into the community because every time he does, he views everyone he sees as a threat. And as soon as he gets home, Isaiah locks the front door, but then every door he goes through in the house, he also locks to try and keep himself as safe as he can. His mother is hopeful that this summer job can coax him out of that fear and into a new way of engaging with the world. I share that hope. And I struggle with a world where young people live with this kind of fear each and every day. But that fear isn't anything new, is it? We can see from today's scripture reading that locks and locked doors are nothing new. Every year, on the Sunday after Easter, we spend time with the disciples to see how they are going to react to the news of Jesus' resurrection. Last week's Easter reading was from the Gospel of Matthew, where the two Marys encountered the angel and then went running to tell the disciples about it. They encountered Jesus, and then he sends them to exuberantly tell the disciples about it. Each gospel has their own way of telling this story. And yet each year we come back to the gospel of John and the truth that lies there. The disciples hear this news about Jesus and they sit behind locked doors. They're not out running through the community looking for where Jesus might be. I would have expected the disciples to hear that news and to run to Galilee where Jesus told them he would be. But they are behind locked doors. Instead of running out to find Jesus, the disciples have gathered in this house, caging themselves in, afraid of what might happen next. They have heard the good news from Mary Magdalene. Christ has risen. Some have seen the empty tomb for themselves, but they are hiding out in this room, y'all. Locked away from the stairs and idle gossip. 
locked away from their shame for deserting Jesus, locked away from crowds who called for their teacher and their Lord to be crucified, locked away from the opportunities to live as Christ commanded them to. Again and again throughout John's Gospel, Jesus was teaching these disciples about his imminent departure. He kept saying it. This was not a surprise. He was teaching them about his commandments to love one another as Christ has loved them. To trust in him. To become the branches of his vine. To be ready to follow him at all costs. But like us, in times of stress and uncertainty, the disciples fall back into their old habits. Instead of living by Christ's example, they are holed up behind doors that are barricaded against the world that they are called to serve. The disciples are living in their own self-made tomb, unsure of what to do, waiting passively for what was to come next. To be honest and fair to them, I think their fear is probably understandable. I get it. The city is still full of the same people who cried, crucify him, and who ended up crucifying Jesus. And their teacher, their Lord, did in fact die on a cross because of those cries. I imagine that they are sitting in a hot, stuffy room, windows and doors barricaded against the light and the fresh air, probably in the dark, or at least dim which in my experience makes it easier to perseverate on the negative thoughts, the ridicule that he was the one who would redeem Israel, the ridicule that their friends and family would throw their way. These disciples had dropped everything to follow Jesus. They believed that he was the Messiah, the one who is going to redeem all of Israel. And I imagine in the confines of that room, sitting around a table, they are now contemplating the possibility of having to return to people who would look at them and say, some Messiah, where is your Lord now? The words of Mary Magdalene, Christ has risen have to still be echoing in their consciousness, but they don't fully understand what it means. And those thoughts are probably lingering with the unwelcome thought, but if he has risen, why haven't we seen him? If he has risen, where is he? The more I think about it, the more unsettlingly unsettlingly familiar that locked door becomes. How many times have I hidden behind some sort of locked door? 
out of fear of what people might think, or because I was unsure what I should do. How many times have we closed doors on certain conversations because we don't want people to think that those are our beliefs, that we are that kind of Christian who would say that about people? How many times have we locked away parts of ourselves because we didn't think that they are worthy? In this era of Zoom gatherings, we have all gotten very good at letting the camera see what we want the camera to see. We know how to apply the right filter, how to stage the area behind us so that those who are on the calls with us or who are looking at our photos get the perfect example of what we want to portray about ourselves. But the truth is, as Garrison Keeler reminds us, we always have a backstage view of ourselves. Behind our locked doors, we can see all of the stuff lying around. We can see our old failures. We can see our old hurts. We can see the shame and guilt that we carry with us. So when something happens and our facade is challenged, we begin to feel a little brittle, a little tender, and we hide behind our own locked doors, afraid of what might come next behind our own locked doors, trying to control who can get close to us and experience the real us. Afraid of how that might live out in the world. Will Willimon says, it is no small matter that those who have closed the door and locked the doors, locked the locks, are Jesus' own disciples. This is not a story about all the ways the world locks, locks its doors against the claims of the Christian faith. This is a story about the way those of us who are Christian lock our doors. And in locking our doors out of fear of the world and what it might do to us, we lock our doors against Jesus and what he might do for us and with us and through us. Thankfully, we see in the text, and I hope that we experience in our lives each and every day, that the living Christ will not be locked away from us. If death, if the silence of the tomb and a heavy stone cannot lock Jesus in, then do we really think that locked doors are going to keep Jesus out? That some locked door is going to keep Jesus away from us? There is not much that is going, if anything, that is going to hide Jesus in the extent of his love away from our lives. We can rest assured that Christ does not break into our presence to rebuke or scold us. 
If we're sitting with our shame or fear or guilt or whatever it is that keeps us behind our locked doors, Jesus is not going to break in and say, get a grip. Jesus is going to break into that room through the locks that we throw up and say, peace be with you. How do I know this? Look at what he did with the disciples in today's text. Those very disciples who deserted him, who left him behind, who instead of running out into the world to find his resurrected presence are sitting in a locked room together hiding. They tell us that Christ comes into those charged, emotionally vulnerable moments offering words of peace. John says Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. While we shy away or get annoyed when people stare or get too close, ask too many probing questions, we see here in this story that Christ invites the disciples to get, in my opinion, disturbingly close. Christ invites them to touch the wounds in his hand, to put their hands in the wound in his side. Jesus greets our fear, our disbelief, our uncertain feelings with loving acceptance. Jesus invites our questions and wants us to feel his risen presence. But he doesn't just come into that locked room and stand among them and say, peace. Jesus reminds them that they are called to more than that tiny room can offer. And in the same way, Jesus reminds us that we are called to more than the tiny existence that we might create for ourselves in our locked rooms. Jesus says to us, peace be with you. As my God sent me, so I send you. Jesus doesn't say, let me fix all of the things that you think are wrong. Let me make sure you're perfect and ready. Jesus says, Peace be with you. I see you just as you are. Just as God sent me, I send you. While the rooms we lock ourselves in offer a twisted sense of comfort and control, Jesus breaks in to remind us that we are called to so much more we are called to follow Christ's example. To live as authentic representations of God's love at work in the world. To allow the broken places of our lives to become examples, illustrations, living reminders of the way that God enters into creation and restores and renews and empowers God's community to be at work in the world. 
And that work is a path filled with the breath of life, empowered by the Holy Spirit to be engaged in the work of forgiveness and peace in all that we say and all that we do. This work throws open the doors of our hearts and embraces the hurts that we carry there. It throws open the trunks of shame that we try to keep hidden in the back corners of our mind, offering Christ's peace so that we may go out into the world to proclaim the good news of Christ's presence in our lives and to forgive and offer peace just as we have been forgiven and restored. The story of the resurrection began when that stone was removed from the tomb, but it is not over. It continues to echo in the lives of all of God's children, reminding us that the worst is never the last thing. Let me say that again. The resurrection reminds us that the worst thing is never the last thing. The resurrection frees us from the rooms in which we hide, frees us from the fear that might be lingering in our hearts to become engaged in the work of God's reconciliation in the world. So friends, let us throw open the doors throw away the locks, break those suckers so that we might become engaged in the work of Christ in the world. So that children like Isaiah might not have to live in fear anymore. So that children like Isaiah might be embraced and experience the fullness of God's vision for his life so that the Isaiahs that live in all of our hearts and all of our lives may come on out into the open to be embraced and loved just as we are, so that we too can join in the work of Christ in the world. Friends, Christ is risen. Alleluia. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen.